0: Well, good morning. It's very muted. Good morning. Um, when I was younger, um, probably about age eight, I guess, uh, I sold ice cubes to my friend. And I know you're thinking he was lucky to have a friend like me. Um, <laughs> This was the sort of kid, he always had money and sweets lying around, um, and I saw a way of exploiting this, of getting a good deal a good deal for myself, so on a very hot summer's day, I wandered around to his house, just around the corner, with a bag of ice cubes that I'd taken out of the freezer, and I popped one in my mouth, and sort of, mmm, this is very nice and refreshing on a hot day like this. Um, like any good marketer, I was creating a perceived need for for my product, so... He took the bait and he asked if he could have one. I said, yes, they're 2p each. <laughs> and um, he went inside and got some money. And I was like, wow, fantastic. I didn't think you'd fall for that. Um, he came out with his money and had some ice cubes. And, and then I said, oh, do you know what? See that water, the melt water, really icy cold water in the bottom of the bag? That's particularly refreshing on a hot day like this. If you want any of that, that's 5p. And he did want some. And so he gave me even more money. Uh, Another good business principle, though, of no wastage and charging a healthy margin. Now, this might not sound like vast amounts of money, but believe me, for an eight-year-old in the early 80s, you could do a lot with 8p. Okay? Now, he then had a bright idea of his own. Um, Like I said, he always had sweets lying around, which I could never understand, because sweets were for consuming immediately. Um, But he always had these sweets lying around. He came out and he said, I I could sell you some of my sweets. And at that point, I suggested that from now on, maybe we should trade ice cubes for sweets. And he agreed as well. Now, I I feel I definitely got the better of that deal. It was a very good exchange for me until his mum found out and phoned my mum. And and I had to give the money back. Um, On the Antiques Roadshow, you you know that programme where... People pretend they would never, ever sell this prized family heirloom. Um, but tell me what it's worth. Um, for insurance purposes, obviously. There was, a, there was a priest who had bought a painting, a portrait, for £400 ten years previously. And on the show, it was discovered that this was an original of a famous artist, and it was valued at £400,000. And it's for moments like that that people watch the show, Those moments where there's this kind of spectacular exchange that happens and you think, oh, I wish that could be me. He's just paid 400 pounds for something and he's got something worth 400,000 pounds. Just imagine what I could do with that sort of money. There was one Antiques Roadshow case that was never broadcast out of um, pity for the the man not to cause him any further embarrassment where someone had paid 1,000 pounds for what he thought was a valuable and rare piece of glassware and it turned out to be an empty olive oil bottle from Tesco. But ice cubes for sweets and for money, that's a a pretty good exchange. £400 for £400,000, that's a really, really good exchange. But what we're remembering today, the reason that so many of us have gathered here this morning on Good Friday at this early hour of the morning, is that we're remembering the greatest exchange that has ever taken place on a hillside outside Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. And you know the accounts of Jesus' crucifixion are appalling? Don't need to go into them. They are appalling. They're horrific. I'm sure we've all read or heard vivid accounts, vivid portrayals of physically what flogging and crucifixion was like. I mean, it is stomach-churning stuff. We're told in Isaiah that his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human likeness. His form marred beyond that of human likeness. He didn't even look human anymore. So battered and mutilated was his his body. And yet, the ugliest, the most unjust, the ugliest event in history became the scene of the most beautiful exchange in history. Ugliness and beauty in one moment. And as Jesus cried out, "'It is finished.'" And he breathed his final breath. The transaction was done. And we get an insight into that transaction, into that exchange that took place in Isaiah 53. And we've already heard it this morning in a a, a different version. So I'm going to look at verses 4 to 6 again from Isaiah 53. Where it says, "Surely, surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God and smitten by him and, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He took up all of our infirmities, carried our sorrows. He took upon himself everything that is wrong with us. Everything that blights our lives. And that verb which is translated took up means he lifted off someone. He, he lifted it all off your shoulders this wasn't just something he picked up off the floor. and no, he lifted it all off your shoulders, this burden, and he shouldered it himself. He placed it on his own shoulders. He was pierced for our sins. By his wounds, we are healed. That's the nature of this amazing exchange that took place. He took on wounds and brokenness, we get healing and wholeness. He took on weakness so we get access to his strength. He took on sorrow so we could know joy. He was punished. So we could be vindicated, undeserved guilt for undeserved innocence. He was separated from his father. We get reconciliation and peace with God. The perfect, flawless Son of God took on all of our defects so that we could eventually become perfect and flawless. He took disgrace so we could know his grace. He was humiliated and shamed. We get to boldly approach the throne of God. He, took, he was in bondage so that we could be free. He was in torment so we could know peace. He took our hopelessness so we could be filled with hope. He became poor so we could know his riches. He was naked. We've been clothed with righteousness. He took death so that we could have life. We could look at this exchange and we could think, great for us, not so good for him. But what we've got to understand here, what we've got to grasp is that unlike my friend, Jesus wasn't conned into this. He wasn't tricked or exploited by a a crafty, manipulative father. He chose this. He chose this. Didn't just happen and he happened to get caught up in these events. It happened because he let it happen. He allowed it to happen. Verse 7 says, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb for slaughter, and as a sheep before her, shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. He does nothing and says nothing and lets it happen. And even saying that isn't strong enough, because this wasn't passive on his part. He actively took hold of this. He deliberately submitted himself to it. He chose it. As Alec Mottier says, the servant's tongue and mind were both disciplined to say an unequivocal yes to injustice and to a death he did not deserve. This was a divine act in which Jesus was, of course, completely complicit. This was divine mandate. This was a divine appointment, a meeting of sinlessness with sin. Every sin of every sinner throughout history like a separate wound in the heart of this beautiful saviour and why did he choose this what could possibly bring anyone to choose this well Hebrews 12 says for the joy set before him he endured the cross there was a reason he went through this this joy set before him and this amazing chapter of Isaiah tells us what it is in verses 10 and 11 it talks about how in his suffering he will see his offspring that's you and me He will see his offspring, and he will be satisfied. Isn't that amazing? His motivation was overwhelming love for us. He considered this a price worth paying, such as the intrinsic value that he sees in you and me. And just as someone might be prepared to pay millions for an antique because of the value they see in the object, because they think it's worth that sort of money, he paid the price that he thought you were worth. He paid what he thought you were worth. This is love which is beyond us. This is a magnitude of love which is indescribable. And it should melt us and utterly undo us. This is a saviour that I want to give my heart to. This is one I trust with everything. This is a saviour I have to give my heart to. You know, he loves you more than anything else. Consider what he lost. What he gave up in this exchange. Or what he gave up just simply in coming as a man. Consider everything he gave up. But it's like he's saying, yes I did. I gave all of that up. I did lose all of that. But look at what I got. I got you. It was worth it. He loves you more than anything else. Just picture him on the cross. This battered, bloodied face of pure love. You see him? You see him looking at you, this gaze of pure love. Ugliness and beauty in one moment. And This exchange, this substitution, it's the principle of the whole Bible. Sin is us substituting ourselves for God. Salvation is God substituting himself for us, putting himself in the dock, putting himself in the prison cell, putting himself on the cross so that we can go free. We owe him our all, our everything. We owe him our whole lives. Nowhere is this exchange more starkly illustrated than in the case of Barabbas. You remember Barabbas? He was set free as Jesus was sentenced. He... He was the guilty man who was released as the innocent man was punished. The one deserving of death exchanged for one utterly undeserving of death. We don't hear any more about Barabbas. But I wonder what was going through his mind.